Man, it's so great to be with you. Thanks for being a part of the story that God is writing here at Active. My name is Mike, if we haven't met, and I serve on the team at Active. And if this is your first Sunday with us, thanks for being a part of what God is doing at Active Church. And we believe that this is the first decision of many good decisions for you. And on the other side of those good decisions is a better story. We believe that you can tell a better story when you find and follow Jesus. And we would love to get to know you. There's a place called Guest Central in the lobby, and you can stop by there. Our team would love to meet you, would love to get your name, and would love to answer any questions that you might have. There's been a lot that has happened here at Active over the last week. We're going to update you later on in service about what took place last week with our support of the Ninos de Baja Orphanage. You guys are incredible, and we're gonna share some numbers with you. And then if you're interested, this Saturday at four o'clock in our events room is uh, a, a group of people that will be gathering together called Operation Christmas Child. And we actually partner with them during the Christmas season to send gifts to those in need and help them to have an incredible Christmas. And so if you'd like to come and hear some of those stories and meet some of the leaders that are behind the scenes for Operation Christmas Child, that is happening this Saturday at 4 p.m. in our events room. We'd love for you to come and join us and be a part of that. I wanna pray some words over you and then we'll dive into the story of God together. Heavenly Father, As we take some time to reorient our focus and our hearts and our minds on you, God, I pray that we would be able to put aside some of the things that we might be carrying in this place today. I know that this week could have been great for some, and I know that this week could have been heavy for others. So God, I I pray that this morning would be a, a morning of freedom, It would be a morning where we could celebrate the goodness of God from this last week, or it'd be a morning where we could turn back to the goodness of God. God, would you open up our our minds to understand what it is that you wanna teach us today? Would you stir in our hearts to awaken what it is that might have fallen asleep in us today and help us to be different than how we walked in today? And I pray that uh, wherever we find ourselves on this spiritual journey, that there would be hope on the other side of our showing up today. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. Reggie Campbell was a university professor. And when he first started working, he noticed something about his colleagues, specifically about the colleagues that had been around for a long time, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years in. He noticed that a lot of his colleagues began to feel kind of bleh about their job and their opportunity. They had lost some of their drive. And Reggie being young and being passionate and being fired up was wondering why they were so kind of meh when it came to their job. But then also Reggie noticed something, not just of those he worked with, but also those that he loved and he was learning to love. Those in his family and those that he called friends. He noticed that in their opportunities, in their circumstances, in their moments, in their seasons, that they just kind of arrived at a place where they weren't finishing well. They, they started really well, but as they were ending whatever season or opportunity or moment or job, whatever it might be, 
but they weren't finishing well. And it challenged him. It challenged him to begin to think about his own life. Because isn't it true, as you think about your life, that it's easy for us as we do things consistently, it's easy for us to lose our excitement about the thing that we're doing. It's easy for us to maybe lose our focus. It's easy for us to prioritize other things over the main thing. And Reggie, being a follower of Jesus, was challenged by what he saw other people doing, but he was also challenged by the words of a man named Paul in the scriptures who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul actually talked about this very feeling, this very idea of finishing well, when he said that you are to run the race and you are to run it to win it. You know, what's interesting about the scriptures is that they don't invite us to start well. Although starting well is good. But the writers of the scriptures and Jesus himself invite us to finish well. And I think in this season that we're in right now is the school year is ending, spring is ending, we're entering into summer. This can be a season of life where we just feel overwhelmed and we're excited to put this season of life behind us. And because we're excited about that, it can cause us to not be thoughtful or intentional about whatever we're doing or whatever relationship we're in or whatever opportunity we've stepped into. It can cause us to not finish well. And Reggie saw that in himself and saw that in those that he loved and that he was learning to love. And so early on in his life, he created what he called the finishing well goals. I want to read a couple of them to you. Reggie said that I will commit to walking with Jesus every single day. And for Reggie, what it meant was that he was going to prioritize the way of Jesus and the words of Jesus in his life, no matter how he felt that day, no matter what emotion he was experiencing that day, that he would always bend the knee to almighty God and he would allow God to lead his way. That's how he wanted to finish well. He said, I'm going to commit to being grateful every day. We've talked often about this at Active, that we can be people who have gratitude towards those who have given to us or those that have done something for us. But what we've learned is that unexpressed gratitude can sometimes feel like ingratitude. Sometimes we don't say it out loud or we don't show it. And so Reggie committed that when it comes to being grateful, he was gonna finish well. He was going to express that gratitude. This one is my favorite one. He said, I will invest in others for their good and God's glory and not mine meaning that I am not going to be kind and nice and serve others so that I could get something from them. But I'm actually going to invest in them and whatever their hope and their dream is and be someone that can help them to take the next step so that they can achieve whatever it is that they have inside of their heart and that it could overflow from their heart to their hands and into their life. And he said, that's what I wanna do. And I wanna do that for God's glory because Reggie understood that whatever you do, whether in word, or indeed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Reggie said, I want to finish well in my relationships. And then he said, I will not give up and I will not run out the clock. There are some who are a part of Active that are here this morning and that are watching online that have been at Active a lot longer than I have, a lot longer than you have. There are those who have been at Active for 30 and 40 and even 50 years. 
they are the ones that have decided to not run out the clock. They are the ones that have decided no matter how hard it gets that they are not going to give up. They have decided to finish well in whatever season or opportunity that they are in. They have set the stage for us. And I'm grateful to them. And I honor them. And I learn from them. And I would love for you to learn from them that we could set the stage for the next generation. We have a joke around here on our staff that those that take over for us, whatever year that might be, whoever takes over for me, whoever takes over for our team, it is gonna be such a seamless transition from us to them because we have really knocked out a lot of issues and struggles so that they could actually just run with the keys to this place because we wanna finish well. I wanna finish well. I want you to finish well. And this isn't just talking about the end of your life. This is talking about the season of life that you're in, the opportunity that's in front of you, the job that you're working on, the thing that you're focusing on, the relationships that you're in. I wanna finish well. Doesn't mean that we can't start well, but isn't it true that when we finish well, it actually helps us to start the next thing well. When you finish this season well, it actually sets you up for the next season to start well. I wanna invite you today to consider what it would look like for you to finish well. To consider what it would look like for you in that moment, in that opportunity, in that job product, in that circumstance, in that relationship to do whatever it takes to finish well. I wanna challenge you to think about your life. And for some of you, you have a lot of life ahead of you. And for others of you, you have a, never mind, I don't wanna talk about that, right? Like, you're, you're not old, you're just mature, right? Like, and, and maybe the time is shorter that's ahead of you. I want you to finish well. And the reason why this is such an important conversation is that this is the conversation that Jesus has with John in Revelation chapter 13. This is what Jesus shows John next in Revelation chapter 13. So if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app on your phone, would you turn to Revelation chapter 13? We're gonna start in verse one. And as you turn there, let me reset this conversation in case you were with us the last few weeks or this is your first Sunday with us. We've been in a series called With You Always. These were the last words of Jesus to the first century Christians. And it was a promise. It wasn't just words. It was a promise that whatever they would do, wherever they would go, that God himself would be with you always. And this allowed those first century Christians to live irresistible lives, lives that drew the attention of everybody around them, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but it captured the attention of the world and they changed the world because they believed without a doubt that God was with you always. How would you live if you actually believed that? What would your life look like if you were confident that God was with you always? Maybe it would look like it looks right now, or maybe it would look very different. These aren't just words that Jesus shared to the first century Christians. These are words that he shares with you and with me. 
And telling the story of Jesus with our lives is the invitation that Jesus gives to you and me. And it's a story that John writes about in this letter of Revelation. John was sent to an island because he wouldn't die. They tried to take his life from him by torturing him to get him to recant his faith in Jesus, and he wouldn't. And so the Roman government sent him to an island, and it was on this island that Jesus shows up and gives John a vision, a dream of what heaven is like on earth. And so John begins to just write some things down. And what John writes down is wild. It's pretty crazy. It's filled with images and colors and descriptions because it's beyond his imagination and it's Jesus communicating. You wanna tell the story, the story of the kingdom of God. Here's what it looks like and here's what it sounds like. And so for the last few weeks, we've been walking through this letter of Revelation and it brings us to Revelation chapter 13. And the invitation of this particular chapter is to finish well. In whatever you're doing, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation you are a part of, whatever opportunity that you hold in front of you, the invitation is to finish well. And there's a point to this chapter from Jesus to John, to that first century audience, but also to us. And it's this, finishing well requires faithfulness to God. Finishing well requires faithfulness to God, that we would be faithful to the God who is faithful to us. And we'll tease out what that means. But for a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we've made the decision to trust in Jesus as our Lord, to believe and be confident that he is with you always. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what we're about to talk about today is a non-negotiable for you. Like this isn't something that you can go, well, I guess I can do it or I guess I don't wanna do it. If you choose to follow Jesus, what Jesus is about to share with John to that first century audience, but also to us is that this is what it looks like to finish well. And it requires faithfulness to God. But, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, and there are many that come to active here in the room and watch online that are intrigued or interested in who Jesus is and what Jesus said, but they aren't sure about their belief in him or to choose to follow him. You have a choice like we had a choice. You have an option like we have an option to decide if you're gonna be faithful to the God who's faithful to you or to be faithful to something or someone else. Because you can because God is not a God who demands anything of you. God is a God who invites you in. You get to decide what you're going to do with your story. You get to decide what you're going to do with the story that Jesus lays in front of us today. You get to decide if you're gonna be faithful to God because he's been faithful to you. Or you get to decide if you're gonna be faithful to someone or something else. And here's what I love about Jesus, amongst the many things that I love about Jesus, is that Jesus is always clear about what it means to follow him and be faithful to him, but he always shares with us the opportunities to be faithful and follow other things as well. And what Jesus shows John in Revelation chapter 13 is two things that invite us to be faithful to them. The, the power of people and religious power. And we'll tease that out so that we can understand what that means. 
But the way that Jesus describes it is fascinating. Jesus shows John what happens when people pursue power or when religious people pursue power. And he uses two beasts to describe it. And there's a reason for it. And so I wanna show you what John sees. I wanna describe to you what it means based on what John is experiencing for that first century audience and then also for us. And then I wanna invite you to consider what it might look like for you to be faithful to God so that you can finish well. So if you have a Bible, we have access to the Bible app. We're gonna start in Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse one. Here's what John sees first. I saw a beast coming out of the sea It had 10 horns and seven heads and 10 crowns on its horns and each had a blasphemous name, meaning that it was antithetical to God or it was anti-Christ. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. Now, if you weren't with us in the first week of this series, we talked about how this letter of Revelation describes humanity by using animals because the animals would represent the characteristics of people. And so what we see here is what John sees. John sees a beast that has kind of an image of a bear and has feet like a leopard and has these strong characteristics. In other words, what John is communicating is that this beast has rule and reign and authority. This beast is in charge of people. So for that first century audience, which is where we have to start, we can't make Revelation say to us what it didn't say to them. This letter is for them. And so to that first century audience, they would have immediately thought about Rome because Rome had all the power. Rome was in charge. Rome had the rule and Rome had the reign. Rome was strong. And so they would immediately have thought about the nation that they lived in. Then John says in verse six, that the beast would blaspheme God, slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So that this beast would speak against those who would follow Jesus and would work against those who would gather together in the name of Jesus. That he would work against the temple of God. And at this point, the temple was destroyed In 70 AD, it was Rome that destroyed the temple. Do you see why that first century audience would be like, oh, John's John's talking about Rome. John's talking about this empire that's over us. John's talking about the emperor that is inviting us to follow him and not follow God. And then in verse eight, we read that the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Here's the purpose of this first beast. It invites us to put aside our affection and our attention to God and place all of our affection and attention on people. This first beast represents what happens when you or when me, when we decide to pursue power, when we seek after power, when we try to get into positions of authority, when we try to rule over people. This first beast represents what happens when that happens. There's an invitation by those who are in charge to say, you know what? 
why don't you put aside that faith that you have? You know what? Why don't you put aside that trust that you have in this God who, is he real? Is he not real? They cause a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. And why don't you just place your hope in my hands? Specifically, this beast can represent governments, nations, institutions that will make promises to you to solve whatever issue you're facing. And for the first century Christians, that first century audience, this would have been Rome. Because Rome showed up and did all sorts of great things. They paved the roads. It definitely wasn't Eukaipa. Like they paved the roads, right? You, you found yourself with ease in traveling. You found yourself with the marketplace working. And the invitation of Rome was just place your hope in our hands. Place your faith in us. We have all the power. Daryl Johnston is a theologian and an author, and he writes these words, that John is opening us up for a sobering, unseen reality of the present. Governments which step out from under the rule of God do not become more divine. They become more demonic. Governments that exalt humanity as the measure of all things do not become more humane. They become more like a beast. In other words, what John is showing us here, what Jesus is showing John is that there are things that you can give your faith and trust to. And it it could be people who are in authority with all sorts of power. And what John is warning us is that they actually, with their power, they don't choose to serve you. They choose to lord over you. It's why there's a beast that represents it because according to John from Jesus is when people choose power over humility, they often will devour people. Isn't it true that when somebody gets a title, that it's easy for that title to become their identity? Isn't it true that somebody with a position of authority, it's easy for them to lord that authority over you? To remind you that I'm in charge, to remind you that I'm the one that this thing rises and falls on. This is what the nation of Rome was doing. And this is what this beast represents. And and here's what's so interesting. John tells us that this happens in every generation. It happens in every season. That there are always going to be people that are gonna pursue power over service, that are gonna pursue authority over humility. And it's tough to get rid of. It's tough to eliminate. Listen to what John says next in verse three. He says, this beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. It's hard to get rid of. When people get into powerful positions, sometimes those powerful positions are positions they will hang on to as long as they can because they love their power. And then they'll invite you to be faithful to them and not be faithful to God. They'll invite you to not do this foolish thing of following Jesus. Is he real anyway? 
to not do this thing of being a person who believes in God, is he actually real anyway? There, there was a recent movie that came out called Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Friends, I loved this movie. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I'm gonna speak nerd to you for just a few minutes. And so if you could like switch on that nerd, I know for some of you, you were like the jock in high school or you're super cool. If you could just come over to my side for like two minutes, it'd be, it'd be so great. This movie is about the guardians of the galaxy. They're in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this movie has a villain named the High Evolutionary. And the High Evolutionary is someone who is trying to perfect creation. He would take created beings and in his mind, perfect them. But what you find in this movie is that this villain was actually devouring creation, harming and hurting those that were under his control, under his rule and under his reign. And there's a moment in this movie where he's trying to achieve his purpose and he is eliminating life on a planet that he created. And one of his staff sees what's happening. And so she confronts him and says, for God's sake, would you stop this and not take any more life? And the high evolutionary stands in front of her face to face and says, there is no God. It's why I had to step in. That's what this beast represents, the first beast that John sees. It's people who go, did God answer your prayer? No, it's because he's not real. Did God move on your behalf? No, it's because he's not real. And we see this play out in our culture in really specific ways. Like, for example, how about the narrative that surrounds thoughts and prayers? There's a narrative that surrounds thoughts and prayers in our culture and the narrative isn't good. There are many people who do not believe in, in God or follow Jesus that can't stand that phrase. And so I'm gonna give you two thoughts on that and then we'll move forward. First thought, the reason why many people can't stand that phrase is because people who are in authority, people who seemingly have all of the power have decided to hide behind that phrase. When there's crisis, when there's tragedy, they don't take action. What they do is send thoughts and prayers. To which I would say as a follower of Jesus, and I would invite you to say the same thing, how dare they? And how dare we use thoughts and prayers as a way of hiding ourselves from actually doing what Jesus has invited us to do? How dare those that are in charge who could make decisions to maybe move things forward, how dare they hide behind that phrase, thoughts and prayers? No wonder there are people who do not follow Jesus, who do not wanna follow Jesus and do not believe in God. No wonder they're frustrated with that phrase because anytime there's a tragedy or a crisis, this phrase gets thrown out. And often it's because they don't wanna take action. Those in charge, those with power don't wanna take action. They devour us. Are you with me? Now, second thought. The reason why I would say, how dare they and how dare we use that as a way of hiding is because prayer 
is one of, if not the most important thing that you and I have in our tool belt as followers of Jesus. The scriptures say that God is close to the brokenhearted. Do you know how God draws close to the brokenhearted? Through you. You are the people of God. We are the church that represents Jesus. And when God is present and close to the brokenhearted, he uses you and he uses me to draw close. That doesn't mean that he can't in some other way, but often what we read in the scriptures is that Jesus says that you and I are the ones that draw close. And sometimes we can't physically be present with those that have suffered an incredible tragedy. Like a little over a year ago, what happened in Uvalde, Texas. And you know what we did? Our hearts were broken when those children were lives were taken. And, and we couldn't physically be there. So you know what many of us did? We chose to pray. Because we believe that God is close to the brokenhearted. And if we can't physically be there, we're gonna ask God to do whatever God does in the lives of those families to be close and to heal and to redeem and to renew and to restore. We have access to almighty God because of Jesus. And that access comes through prayer. Prayer, ask God, what are you doing? How can I be a part of it? Prayer makes petition of God. God, would you move on this behalf and would your will be done? God, we want you to do what only you can do in this situation. This is why we should never hide behind thoughts and prayers. And this is why the people of God should be bending the knee often to almighty God and asking God, would you do what only you can do? This first beast, it mocks thoughts and prayers. And it says, I've got the power. It's a person with power. We don't need God. There is no God. That's why I stepped in. That's what this first beast represents. And what John wants you to know, what Jesus ultimately wants you to know, is that this first beast invites you to be faithful to it, to the people who are in charge, to trust in them, to place your life in their hands, to be faithful to them. Then John sees a second beast in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. He says this, it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now there's a lot here. So let's talk about what it means to that first audience because that's who this was originally to. Immediately, that first audience would have gone, oh, John's talking about Domitian, the emperor. Domitian would invite people to worship him in order to buy 
and sell. And if you didn't worship him, you couldn't buy and sell. You couldn't eat and drink. You couldn't take care of your family. So you would walk into the marketplace. You would grab a pinch of incense. You would say, Domitian is Lord. You would throw it into the fire. The fire would explode as a way of showing all of the rule and power of Domitian. And then you could buy and then you can sell. And there was a tension that the first Christians lived in. The first tension was from that first beast that, oh, let's trust the people in power. But the second tension that they felt was that they're not only wanting us to be faithful to them, they're wanting us to worship them. And so for that first century audience, this was the emperor. But for us today, this beast represents what happens when people who are religious seek power. When people in positions like mine want all the power. And that's when people get devoured. You know, the church has actually grown a whole lot faster and been a whole lot more effective when it didn't have power. When there wasn't somebody making rules and laws to force people to follow Jesus, but instead the irresistible life that the people were living as they followed Jesus and honored Jesus, that's when all eyeballs were on them and that's when people were intrigued. That's what's happening in China and that's what's happening in Iran. You don't hear about it. And the reason why you don't hear about it is because the people who have the power are squashing it. But what happens when religion and religious people seek after power is they devour people. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have a story from your history about being in a church and interacting with someone who is in my position and how they mistreated you or dishonored you, how they taught you that they were the ones that could help you to find and follow Jesus instead of you being able to do that in your own power and in your own might. Instead of them being an advocate for you, they decided that they were actually going to just do it for you. And if you wouldn't allow them to do it for you, they would tell you that you're not godly, you're not good, whatever the story might be. There are so many stories of people with wounds from church that have shown up here. And our commitment to you is to always care for you. Our commitment to you is to always serve you. And our commitment to you is when we get it wrong, because we will, we'll ask for your forgiveness. When religious people have power, they often forget about the powerful almighty God. And that's what this beast represents in this moment. When religious people actually have power, they invite you to trust in them rather than in almighty God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And maybe that's you. We've been searching and searching for something that would satisfy our soul. And maybe that's why you showed up today or watched online today. Because the things that you have been pursuing, the things that you were going to give your trust, your faith, your hope to, just didn't solve it for you. Now, there's something that John mentions in this chapter with the second beast that we can't skip over. John talks about the mark of the beast. Now, for some of you, you have no idea what that's about. 
And could I just say, good for you. (laughs) Because for those of you that are Christians, we have made this something that it's not. There is a narrative in the Christian world that the mark of the beast is something that's coming that will come from someone who will force it upon everybody. So over the last few centuries, Christians have decided that the mark of the beast was something that was being offered to the community. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, not gonna take it. Like for example, there was a narrative around the COVID vaccine that it was the mark of the beast. Now, we, we're not here to debate whether you took it or whether you're not. That's, that's up to you. But I just want to be very clear with you. John is not talking about the COVID vaccine. There's also a narrative about like, it'll be a chip that gets placed in your hand. And then, I don't know if you've seen it, but like the last few years, Amazon has created stores where you could walk in and if you have the chip in your hand, you could just swipe your hand and you could buy your groceries. And Christians all over the world are like, uh-uh, I read the book. I don't want that, right? John is not talking about a microchip in your hand. Did you know that at one point, social security numbers were thought to be the mark of the beast? And then when credit cards were invented, they were thought by Christians to be the mark of the beast. And the narrative was, well, it says very clearly that it's gonna come from people in power, so like the government, and I don't want the government to track me. And we say that while we're holding our phones. Good morning, Mr. President. We're glad you're at active, right? Like, I mean, so, so what the heck is this? What is John talking about? Well, remember, this is for them. This was written to them first, and we have made it about us. So John talks about the forehead and the right hand. And the first century audience would immediately go, oh, But you and I will go, what? What is he talking about? Let me take you back to what's called the Old Testament in the scriptures. Moses was one of the first prophets who helped lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses was the first prophet to give the law of God to the people, the 10 commandments. And the law of God in Moses's opinion was to be something that would shape your life and dictate the things that you would do. And so Moses actually communicates on behalf of God to the people of God in a really specific way about the law of God. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six. It reads this way. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And then listen to this this next verse. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. John mentions three things, heart, hands, forehead. Let the law of God be in your heart. Let it change and shape your character. Let the law of God be on your mind. Let it influence the words that you say and let the law of God be on your hands and let it impact the life that you live. So much so that they wanted this to happen in their lives that they would actually take the written scriptures and tie it around their foreheads like a bandana and put it on their hands like a bracelet to be reminded that they are the 
people of God and this is how they should live. One theologian, J.K. Beale put it this way, the forehead represents ideological commitment and the hand, the practical outworking of that commitment. So do you wanna know what John is talking about when he's talking about the mark of the beast? He's not talking about something that's going to happen. He's talking about something that is happening. He's talking about an ideological commitment that you have in your mind and how you live that commitment through your hands. In other words, John is saying, you can be marked by the spirit of God and have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control overflow from your life and tell the story of Jesus from your life, or you can be marked by those in power. You can be marked by the beast and you can live with pride and ego and selfishness, and you can keep it all to yourself and not think about anyone around you. Friends, hear me. When John is talking about the mark, he is talking about an ideological commitment that is lived out. He is talking about you holding it in your mind and living it out in your hands. This is what John is talking about. It's not something that's coming, although it could be coming still, but it's something that's happening right now. When we decide to either put our faith in God or put our faith in something other than God. The invitation is for you to consider who you will put your faith in so that you can finish well. And then John is feeling the tension like you might be feeling the tension. Because for some of you, you're like, I've never heard that before. I just wanna be clear with you. This isn't Mike Frisch's opinion. This is what over 90% of scholars and theologians and historians would say about what John is writing. So you might ask, well, where did we get all of these thoughts? And oh, where did we get all of these stories? We got it in the last century in really the last 50 years. One, from a book that's fictional and two, from interpretations of people like me who wear microphones on Sunday and assume that they're correct. But what John is talking about to that first century audience is, hey, be smart, be wise about who you bend the knee to. You can bend the knee to people in power, but they cannot save your soul. But if you bend the knee to almighty God, he will save your soul and give you life. And it could be something that you hide in your mind and you live out through your hands. So John's feeling the tension. John goes, uh, so in light of all of this, what do we do? And Jesus speaks up. Jesus says in verse 10 of Revelation 13, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. There's that word, faithfulness prioritizing our perspective, our affection, our attention on almighty God so that we can finish well whenever we get to the finish line. In life, in relationships, in moments, we focus our attention on God and allow God to be our strength and allow God to be our wisdom and allow God to be our voice. And then John gives us three really specific ways forward to be faithful so that we can finish well. Let me give you 
give you three steps. First, faithfulness to God requires a serious pursuit of holiness. Holiness might seem like a big word to you. It's really not a big word. It's a great word that describes what God can do and what only God can do. See, a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we try to live holy lives. We cannot. Holiness comes from God. It's a life that is set apart. It's a life that we call telling a better story. God is our strength and God is our courage and God directs us. And when we're serious about holiness, then we are serious about what we can do and what God can do. Meaning that we confess when we mess it up and we confess when we need God and we confess our desire for a better story. Confession is not something that you should be afraid of. Confession is something that empowers you to follow Jesus in the best possible way. Those first century Christians, they were confessors. Some of you, you have a Catholic background and so confession is connected to like a priest or a leader. But the confession that we read in the scriptures is confession directly to God because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But don't discount confessing to each other because that's when accountability and responsibility and ownership rise to the surface. You wanna be serious about holiness? Don't ignore it, confess it. Because then that's when the stirring of God does his greatest work in you. Listen to what Tim Chester writes. He says this, the difference between a person who grows up gifting, the difference is what each has planted into the soul of his or her, her own heart. Holiness isn't a mysterious spiritual state that only an elite few can reach. It's more than an emotion or a resolution or an event. Holiness is a harvest. You know how you can grow things, the work of God in you? When you confess. And this will allow you to finish well because you won't be carrying around anything that you weren't created to carry around when you confess. Second thought, faithfulness to God requires living a life of repentance. Repentance is literally you not doing what you once did, but now doing what God has invited you to do. Taking that ideological commitment of the work of God in your heart and in your mind and living that out not in your own strength, but in the strength of Almighty God. Repentance says all of my attention and affection go to God. It's why we sing. It's why we teach from the word of God. It's why we pray. It's why we read the word of God. It's why some of us fast and practice fasting on a regular basis, not so that our bodies look good, although go ahead, look good. I want you to look good, but also so that we can hear from God in those moments when we need desperately to have the voice of God speak to us. One theologian, Peter Wagner, put it this way. The purpose is, God's purpose is, may be thwarted or they may be accomplished depending on obedience of his people and their willingness to use the weapons of spiritual warfare that he has provided. God is powerful enough to win any battle, but hear this, but he has designed things so that the release of his power at any given moment of time is often contingent upon the decisions and the actions of his people. 
You want God to move in your life? Then confess. You want God to do great things in your life? Then live a life of repentance. Not where you're excusing the things that you want to do, but that you are actually surrendering the things that you want to do so that you can follow Almighty God, that you can tell the story of Jesus with your life. Those people that are attractive to you, those people that live irresistible lives, those people that you're like, man, I would love to do it like them. You know what they have inside of them? You know what they're doing right? Right now, they're confessing and they're repenting. They're choosing the way of Jesus and they're prioritizing that. They're serious about it because they want to finish well. Last thought, faithfulness to God requires radical hospitality for everyone. Some of you, you have great entertaining spaces at your house because you're an entertainer. You're good at it. You're much better than me. And that's why I love when we get invited. And that's why I love when you invite others. Hospitality is different than entertaining. Entertaining is more about the host. Hospitality is more about the guest. Here's how Jesus put it. Matthew wrote this down. Jesus said, or follow him. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? They were the worst of the worst in that time. And if you greet only those that are your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. What Jesus is saying is you can entertain. Entertaining is fun, but if you're gonna be hospitable and if you're gonna be serious about being hospitable, then you need to know that it's not just you being kind to those who are kind to you that the people of God are people that step into spaces that are awkward and uncomfortable. And that can be hard, but it's the reality of what it means to care for ourselves first. This may be why you struggle with tithing or with generosity or with serving because hospitality is something that you're struggling with. Hospitality takes courage because it takes a willingness to risk. Most of us know what true hospitality feels like. It means being received openly, warmly, freely, without anything, any need to prove ourselves. It makes us worthy because our host assumes we are worthy. This is the kind of hospitality that we have experienced from God, and God asks that we go and do likewise, particularly to the alien or the foreigner among us. Do you want to finish well? Finishing well requires faithfulness to God. And finishing well begins when you bend the knee to Almighty God. And when we are faithful to God, He is faithful to us. And so the invitation from Jesus to John, to the first century audience, but also to you and to me, is, is where will you place your hope? Who will you give your life to? And for many of us, that choice has been made and it's Jesus. And these words are a reminder of why, so that we can finish well. But for some of us, we're still on the on the fence, we're still debating on what we should do with this story. And the invitation from Jesus to John, to us, is to lean in the direction of Jesus. So that in this moment, this opportunity, this circumstance, in this life, you could finish well. You could tell a better story. 
So what, I, what I'd love to do is invite you to make one of two decisions today. For some of you, you have trusted in Jesus. You call him the Lord of your life. And because of that trust, you have decided to follow him with your life. But you've done it in a very private, quiet sort of way. The beautiful part about the work of God is that it cannot stay within us. And so in just a couple of weeks on Father's Day, June 18th, we are celebrating baptisms. Baptism Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays at Active because it's an announcement publicly that Jesus is Lord of your life and mine. And I wanna invite you to consider getting baptized. Look at me, eyes on me for just a moment. Some of you have been putting this off because you don't think that you're worth God's time or worth God's love. And could I just say one thing to you? Stop it. Because what we read in the scriptures is that it's not up to us. It is up to God and God has chosen you and invited you. And so today you need to sign up to get baptized at Guest Central. So after service, walk directly to Guest Central, tell them I'm getting baptized on the 18th and they'll give you all the information and they'll sign you up. If you're watching online and you wanna be a part of that, then you can sign up online. But there's a group of you that maybe before you get baptized, you need to figuratively, literally figuratively in your heart with your knees, like bend the knee to almighty God by trusting in him. And so I wanna pray some words over you. And I wanna lead you through a moment where you can talk to God, where you can say some things to God, where you can be faithful to the God who's been faithful to you. And then we'll celebrate in this place by saying amen and we'll sing a song together. So if you would, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we consider what it means for us to finish well, may we be people that will not do it under our own strength and may we be people that will not turn to other people and place our hope and our faith in them, but may we be people that turn to you. And for some of us, we need to make a decision to trust in you. And so in this space, in this moment, in your own heart, in your own mind, would you say these words to God? Heavenly Father, I trust in you. I believe in Jesus. And I receive his forgiveness. And I acknowledge that he resurrected from the grave. And I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, that is the start of your relationship with God. It's not everything that you need to say to God, but it is the start of your relationship with God. And the best thing that you can do is to be obedient in that relationship to God, with God and to get baptized. And so I wanna invite you to consider what that would look like for you on June 18th. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would stir the hearts of each man and woman, young and old in this place, those watching online, that they would be people that would trust in you, follow you, go public with their love for you because you love us. May they be people who are faithful to you because you have been faithful to them. And may they be people who finish well in whatever season, circumstance, moment, relationship, or story that they're telling because they trust in Almighty God 
because of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. And may we be people that tell the story of Jesus with our lives and with our words. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen.